Well, amen, amen, and again, really thankful to see you all here today. Um, if you're visiting with us, I had the, I had the privilege of, of two weeks of vacation, and so, um, so that was a, a real gift. I thank you for that, that gift. I had the opportunity to be at Emmanuel Aurelia, and actually that was, a, I preached there that day. Pastor Dave and I worked out an arrangement where we did a trade, because uh, I wanted to be able to get him here so you could hear him open God's word. And it was great to worship with them, great, wonderful congregation. And then on the second week, I was able just to sit and listen, and we were at Harvest uh, Bible Chapel in Barrie. And we'd never been there before. Great to see what God was doing there. Uh, so God's doing lots of great things in lots of different congregations. Nevertheless, we really, really missed you here. Because church is more than the place. It's more than the, even the style. It's God's put this congregation here, all these people, the body of Christ here. And uh, they couldn't replace you, not to be sappy, but uh, happy to be back. Uh, yeah, that's right. Psalm 40. I feel like you try to earn some goodwill after you've been back. I was like, I hope you still love me. I still love you. Uh, so happy to be here. And uh, as you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 40, um, I just want to share a little uh, silly illustration to prepare us for this text. Um, I want to confess to you this morning that uh, you have a pastor here who, who hates running. And I hope that's not a deal breaker for you, but it's unfortunate that is my... That is my reality. I, I, I hate it. I don't, it hurts. Uh, my wife and I, we tried to run as a family yesterday. We ran down to the beach with the kids, and uh, it, was, it was awful the whole time. The beach was great. The kids were great. My wife was great. But the running is terrible. Um, now, that's that I have a deep reverence for people who love running. I see the value in it. People who would do that to themselves for extended periods of time. There's, but you need, you need discipline. You need to train. And, and the key thing is you need endurance. And so all that is to say, as, as much as I disdain running, I do have a, a great respect for those who press through. And I think in running, we learn a lot about life. And I, I'm not alone in that conviction. The apostles felt the same way, which is why in the New Testament, we have so many references to this illustration of running. And I, at first, I listed a bunch of them, but instead, I'll just point to one. Hebrews 12, the apostle wrote, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. See, endurance matters. Endurance matters not just in running. It's obvious in running. But endurance, it matters in the Christian life because this is a race. And the Christian life is, is joy-filled. Can I get an amen? The Christian life is joy-filled, but it is simultaneously heartbreaking. It's glorious, and it's exhausting. It's exhilarating and simultaneously at times debilitating. Up and down, everything in between. That's, that's the reality, and anyone who's been walking with the Lord for any length of time knows this to be true. Nevertheless, if you are a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, then by the grace of God, even as you're up, even as you're down, you will put one forward in front of the next. Because according to Jesus the one who endures to the end will be saved. Endurance matters. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, then you have the, the unfortunate experience that we share of, of watching as someone who you thought was your brother or sister in Christ, watching as they fall away. Someone who was, maybe they, maybe they surrendered their life to the Lord the same time that you did. Maybe you were baptized on the same Sunday. And nevertheless, you watched as, as life got hard. Right? And following Jesus became very costly in their life. And suddenly sin looked really easy. And suddenly they were gone. The narrow road is frequently abandoned. We've seen this. 
The cross that's taken up one day is laid down the next. The seed that sprouts up and even shoots up for a season is often choked by the surrounding vines that grow around it. But, Jesus says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Endurance matters. And in our text this morning, we, we're going to catch a glimpse of the kind of faith that endures. So look with me now to Psalm 40. And hear now God's holy, inspired, inerrant, living, active word to us today. Psalm 40, written by David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you, and I will proclaim and tell of them. Yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They're more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, (laughs) but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I'm poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. See, life consists of a series of ups and downs. Valleys, mountains. And Psalm 40 is a prayer that was written from and written for those down days. David wrote this psalm while he was living in the valley. However, he has confidence that bright days will return. And you know why? Because he's been through this cycle before. He's been up and he's been down. And he's been back up and now he's back down again, but he's looking forward with anticipation that he'll be up again because he knows how this works and he knows who his God is. That's a general survey of what we find in this prayer. If you're a visual learner, you could even draw that in your Bible. That David, he, he was down and then he was up and now he's down again, but he will be up, right? That's, what, that's the scene in general. And we're going we're gonna to work our way through this. 
But as we do, I want to just prepare us with this word from Martin Luther, just as we prepare our time in the text. Martin Luther once wrote, we must not simply read or sing the Psalms as if they didn't concern us, but we must read and sing them for this purpose, that we may be improved by them, may have our faith strengthened and our hearts comforted amid all sorts of necessities, for the, the Psalter is nothing else than a school and exercise for our heart and mind, to the end that we may have our thoughts and inclinations turned into the same channel. And so that's my prayer for us this morning as we look to the text. I hope that is what your expectation as we look to God's Word. We talk about how it's living and active. It doesn't return void. He's, he's working. Okay? And as we look at this psalm, my prayer for us is that we would, each of us, have our faith strengthened because that's what we need in this world. So, in particular this morning, we are going to expect to develop the kind of faith that endures. Okay? Faith that endures. That's, that's what we're going to be considering today. My dad's a wise man. And he always said, life is hard, and then you die. Now, he doesn't write Hallmark cards, but he's, he is a wise man. And it's true, isn't it? Life is hard. Now, some seasons more so than others. But it's hard. And therefore, if that is our lot in this broken world, then what can we do in these days to bolster our faith for the challenges that lie ahead? Ultimately, we know it's the God who keeps us. Well, what can I do? What can you do? In the flesh, what, we can't do anything in our own strength. God is the one who keeps us. We know that. We sing, He will hold me fast because it's true. We know that. Nevertheless, we want to position ourselves. We want to respond in obedience because we know those who thought that they were saved. We know those who thought that they possessed real faith and we watched as they fell away before us. There was no endurance. So what does it look like? faith that endures well first faith that endures remembers in particular remembers all that God has done that's the first thing I want you to see we find it in verses one to three if you just look there with me again I waited patiently for the Lord he inclined to me and heard my cry he drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and he set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure he put a new song in my mouth a song of praise to our God Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I want to draw your attention to the fact that, that David right here is recounting something that is not his present reality. He's talking about something that happened in the past. Look at all the verbs. They're past tense. I waited. He inclined. He, he put. All this, this happened in the past. What David's doing right now is he's remembering. Now, remembering what? We're not entirely sure. Normally, you'd find in the superscription above the text something that points us to the the circumstances under which the psalm was written. Um, And if you look at that superscription in this text, it says, To the choir master, a psalm of David. So we know David wrote it, but we have no idea what it is that he was remembering when he pointed back to the pit or what he's living in now. We're not sure. And I think that's intentional. I agree with one commentator who notes that the psalms are purposefully vague in reference to historical events so that they can be used in a variety of situations. It's vague on purpose. It's vague so that you can remember back to your pit. It's vague so that you can pray this prayer, even though your circumstances aren't exactly what David's were. So in Psalm 40, David's in some sort of unspecified trouble. And it would be easy for him in this valley that he's living in to succumb to hopelessness. But David's not going to do that. 
Because David remembers that he's been here before. He remembers that he, he was in the pit. Right? He was at the bottom of the pit, waiting patiently for the Lord. He was sinking in the mire and the clay, and he was crying out, and the waiting felt like it would last forever. David has been here. But as he sank and as he cried out, God didn't leave him in that place, but God inclined. That, that word has the sense of kind of leaning in. So God, God is not this dins, disinterested God leaning back. No, he's, he's leaning and he sees David, he hears David. And God scooped him up out of the pit and he put his feet on a firm foundation. Or he set him up, up on the rock, he took him out of that valley of, of despair. And then, I love this part, he put a new song in David's heart. Maybe you've been in a season of your life where there is no song. You know, you, you're gathered together with the saints and it's corporate worship time and you're, you're watching these people singing around you, but there's nothing coming out. And David was he's a songwriter, right? David was, he was the worship leader. And David says, oh man, you pulled me out of the pit and you, Lord, put a song in my mouth again. And he's, he's reveling in what God did. In these opening verses, David, he's living in this glorious memory. But it's a memory. It's not where he's living when he writes this psalm. He's in a mess when he writes this psalm. He's in another pit when he writes this psalm. But what does he do? He doesn't despair. He remembers. And that is instructional for us. That is instructional for us today. Listen. If you want to be a person who endures, then you need to grow to become a person who remembers. When you're not sure how God's going to see you through to tomorrow, you need to remember how He saw you through to yesterday. He's been working in your life, and you've seen it, and you can, you can testify to yourself about all that He has done in your life. And so I'll just step out and ask, when is the last time that you, you disciplined yourself to stop and to remember? Do you, do you have anything in your life that compels you to look back? I have this, uh, and this maybe isn't the manliest thing I can confess to you, but I use this five-year journal, and it's just like a paragraph a day. And so in every January 1st, I see what God did January 1st five years ago. And I find for someone like me, I, I, I'm an up-and-down person, I need to see where I was and to remember what God did. I, I need to remember that January 2nd, 2017, I felt like there was no hope. But then here's what he did, January 29th. I, we need to be a people who remember. So let me ask you, what, are you a person who remembers? When is the last time that you stopped and you, you look back to who you were before Christ saved you? When's the last time that you remembered back to the fact that you were in the pit? You, you were sinking in the mud. It was hopeless. It was addiction, maybe. You were chained to it. It was, it was that relationship that was unhealthy, that was, that was bringing you into ruin. And, and there's people that you were hurting. And there was a front that you were putting onto the world and you felt hopeless and alone and lost in yourself. And you cried out to the Lord like David, you cried out. Um, I've shared this testimony a number of times here, but as I look at it, we've got all these new faces, so half of you probably haven't heard it. One of the moments that I frequently look back to in my life was this youth conference when I was in grade, I think I was grade 12. And I remember on that day that it was the first time when the holiness of God really gripped me. And I, and I joke, it wasn't the sermon. I remember the sermon was something about chocolate cake. It, was all, it wasn't a sermon that I would ever replicate here for you today, but God took that moment and he opened my eyes to see his holiness and I saw my sin. And that day, I just remember falling on the floor and lying in this auditorium and I just wept and wept and wept and I couldn't get low enough. 
And I just laid there lying and crying and realizing that I'm a sinner who is so, I'm in the pit and there's no way for me to get out of this pit. And it was there that God showed me what Christ had done. And I often have to go back to that place now and remember the fact that just like you, you know, maybe and you can remember when you cried out to the Lord. Maybe for you, you were lying in bed or maybe, maybe it was you're lying on your bathroom floor or maybe you were at a conference or you were at a congregation you're coming to the altar and you cry out to the Lord and can I remind you of something? He didn't leave you there, did he? He didn't leave us there. He picked us up out of the pit. He broke chains of addiction that we couldn't break in our own strength. And he set our feet up on the rock and he put a song in our mouth and he changed the way that we see the world, the way that we see ourselves, the way that we see him. He became everything. And it was glorious and and it's never been the same since that day. Do you remember? It's important that you remember, brothers and sisters. You never graduate out of needing to remember what God has done. We look back Faith that endures is faith that remembers. And by the way, in case you think this is me, just a, you know, a pithy self-help suggestion. No, this is the way that God has wired you and wired the world. With the, under the old covenant, he got the old covenant followers of him to, to go to the Passover every year. Every year they had this whole tangible celebration of how God had delivered them out of bondage in Egypt. Right? He had, they had to go through the whole ceremony. They had to taste it. They had to see it. They had to smell it. Why? Because they're inclined to forget. And in the New Covenant, nothing changes. Jesus comes to us and He institutes the Lord's Supper. And He says, no, left to your own devices. You're going to forget. You're going to forget what has happened. And so you're going to take this bread and you're going to break it and you're going to eat it. You're going to taste it. And you're going to drink this cup. And you're going to do this until I come. Why? Because left to your own devices, you're going to get so caught up in the troubles of today and you're going to get so caught up in the worries about tomorrow. But wisdom looks back. You remember that my blood was shed for you. You remember the perfect life that I lived. That you can't do this in your own strength. And God knows that. And God sent His Son. God sent His Son to do what you couldn't do in your own strength. To die the death that you deserve to die. And and to be raised from the grave. To prove that there is hope at the end of this darkness. You must remember. God has built this in. And so therefore, we need to grow in this, brothers and sisters. To remember. Remember the pit. Remember the deliverance. God hasn't changed and He is still holding on to you. Second, we first learned that faith that remembers, faith that endures is faith that remembers. Second, faith that endures responds with gratitude and worship. And so that's what we find here in verses 9 to 10. Sincere public response. It says, I've told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I've not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I've spoken of your salvation, of your faithfulness. I've not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. See, when David was pulled out of that pit, David simultaneously exploded with praise. He didn't hide it. Right? He, he told this to the whole congregation, anybody who would listen. Can you remember those days? <laughs> Can you remember when you first were saved? And, and even though you're a bit introverted, you had to tell everyone. This is the greatest thing ever. And that's what happened to David. He comes out of this pit and he's, he's telling the whole congregation, he says, I didn't hold anything back. Real faith is thankful faith. Gratitude's good for the soul. And, and not just your soul. Gratitude stirs up the faith of the congregation. It gives us faith for the future. I hope and pray that we would see even more of this in our own midst. Like, if I could challenge us, challenging myself, the whole group, 
let's cultivate this here. Let's tell people the great things that God has done. Don't, you don't, don't keep that to yourself. Just share it. I think, you know, one of the, one of the things that I've, I've come to really believe is that some of the most powerful time in our Sunday morning gatherings happens when the whole service, the whole plan is, is done. And, and we stop. And then you have an opportunity to turn to the person behind you or the person next to you. That's, that's a moment where, listen, the, we all have an opportunity in that moment where we can turn our minds to the next channel. You start, oh, are you going to watch the game tonight? Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch the game. Or, oh, hey, you had a pretty crazy week at work? We all have the chance to turn the channel. But, but how sweet it is when someone's about to turn the channel and you turn to them and you say, man, God just, God just really changed my life. This piece right here, that's going to change the way I see the world. Or, or, man, God just did something incredible this week. Here's what he's been teaching me. And what we do in that moment is, is we are able to reinforce the things that God's doing. And, and it's just gratitude is what it is. It's public gratitude. And we need it. So let's be more intentional in our services, in our, in our fellowship, to celebrate what he's done. Listen, the, the couple in crisis, they need to hear about the marriage that has been restored. And, and this is a sensitive one, but that, that couple that's struggling with infertility, it's good for them to hear from the couple who, whose prayers for years and years were finally answered. The young man who's bound in addiction, it's good for him to hear from the brother who's been clean for five years. We've been talking over the series how we need to learn to weep with those who weep. But remember, it also says we need to rejoice with those who rejoice. We need both in this walk. So let's cultivate it. Because gratitude builds and bolsters faith for the whole congregation. And before we move out of this section, I want to show you something really, really important in verses 6 to 8. David says, In sacrifice and offering, you've not delighted, but you've given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering, you've not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Now, what's he talking about here? He's talking about how this, whatever this pit was that he was delivered from, technically, if you would work through what God has revealed in the law, there was no required sacrifice for whatever it was that David was first delivered from. But it, was, it would have been appropriate, perhaps even expected that King David would come and would bring a sacrifice on that, that occasion. And yet David, he didn't bring a sacrifice on that occasion, and he intentionally draws our attention to the fact that he didn't bring a sacrifice. And he follows up to say, listen... I didn't bring a sacrifice because what I brought to God was more than a sacrifice. Because God deserves more than a sacrifice. What David brought was obedience. He brought a heart that delights now to fall in alignment with God's will. Whatever it was that God delivered him from, David came out of it and said, here's what I'm offering to you, Lord. I am going to live for you, and it's going to be my delight. David remembered how the sacrifice wasn't entirely what God wanted. We're going to talk about what that means. But the sacrifice in and of itself wasn't enough. So David remembered back to Saul, his predecessor, and how he had gotten it all wrong. And if you use the RMM reading plan, and I'm realizing now that it, we've been here so long, and there's so many new faces. Do, does anybody here use the RMM reading plan? Okay, so good, like 40%. Well, if you're not, if you're not using any kind of plan to get you into the Word of God, I would suggest this plan that, that a number of us use. It's, it's not any magic plan. But it's the Robert Murray McShane plan. And, and uh, you can read through the whole Bible in a year. And it's like four chapters a day. Or you can read through the whole Bible every two years. And it's two chapters a day. And if you're interested in that, you could talk to me after the service. But I, I'll frequently point to that in these sermons. And this week, we read the story about how God had, 
had commanded Saul to wipe out the Amalekites. And so Saul had gone and God had given him the victory, but Saul didn't wipe out the Amalekites. And he actually kept some of the best of the sheep and of the goats and of the flock. And, and when he was confronted by Samuel, God sent Samuel and he said, you're going to need to deal with this. Saul had a self-righteous excuse. He said, well, actually, we kept the best because uh, we're going to offer them uh, as a sacrifice to your God, Samuel. But of course, God saw right through that and he spoke through the prophet Samuel to Saul. He said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. See, David understood this. He was living under the old covenant, but he understood that God was never only after a mere sacrifice. He's after our hearts. And in Hebrews chapter 10, this text in, here in Psalm 40, it's picked up, and the apostle uses this text to explain to us why the, the sacrificial system was never enough. Why the blood of, of bulls and goats was never God's final plan to deal with sin. How, how we need more. We need a transformed heart. He teaches us in Hebrews 10 that the, that whole system of sacrifice in and of itself didn't accomplish anything. But what it did was it pointed forward to the plan that was coming. It pointed forward to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we could dedicate an entire sermon to that. And if we were preaching through Hebrews 10, we would. Uh, and when we preached through Leviticus, we did. But here I want to just I zoom out and say, let's, what point is David making here in this passage? David is showing us that God's deliverance in his life was so great, so life-changing, that David says, well, forget the goat. I'm putting my life on the altar. I'm giving you my obedience. I'm giving you my love, my affections. I'm giving you all of me. And that sounds an awful lot like something else we read in the RMM plan this week, Romans 12, where the Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That is the kind of faith that endures. So if we could sit in that for a moment. You know, why is it that you, know, you see some that fall away and you see some that endure? One of the things, one of the marks of enduring faith is it's faith that lets go of sin. And a lot of times people, they're, they're lifted out of a pit, they're lifted out of their circumstances and they, and they do the first part of overflowing with gratitude. So they're like, thank you God. And they tell everybody, tell your neighbor, tell your friend. Guess what God did? He brought me out of the mess. Look at, look at my life now. Look at what I've done. It's so amazing. And yet there's these three pet sins that they're holding on to. And they're like, I'm not going to let these go. So, you know, it's like God pulled me out of the pit and he pulled these three too and I'm going to keep them with me. And they, they try to live their life holding on to these things. And it's like Saul. They've got this disobedience in their life, and they say, well, isn't there some kind of sacrifice I can offer? And Saul's like, oh, take these goats and stuff, but I'm not giving you my obedience. And so often we're like, well, didn't Jesus die on the cross for my sin? Didn't he die so that I could continue to hold on to these things? No, he didn't. He died to pay the penalty for these things, but as you come into real faith, he's going to change your heart to let those things go. You have to let those things go. And if you're not letting those things go, then it's not real faith. It's not real faith and it won't endure. It's, it's therapy is what it was. It's, it's self-help is what it is. It's something that makes you feel good about yourself, but it's not the gospel. The gospel says that in gratitude we let our sin go. And faith that endures doesn't hold on to sin. Now, that doesn't mean that faith that endures is perfect faith. I'm looking at a room full of sinners and you're listening to a sinner. We sin. We fall short of the glory of God. 
But there's a difference between those who stumble into sin and those who treasure sin. Those who, who have a step backwards and repent and let go. And those who are pressing forward saying, I think I can keep this. You can't. So just hear that loud and clear from me. You can't. And you won't endure. And when the next storm comes, it'll be proven that that faith, it's not enduring faith because it's not real faith. Because real faith would cause you to let it go. That's the second thing we learn in this text. Faith that endures responds with gratitude and worship and obedience. But third and finally, faith that endures resolves to trust God, even in the valley. So as I mentioned, David is writing this psalm while in the valley, while in hardship. The deliverance, that all that stuff about, I waited patiently for the Lord, you know, if you're a YouTube fan. All that, all that sweet stuff, that was yesterday. So David, he's singing that song and he's remembering that, but then he opens up his eyes and he, that's not life. That's not today. He's got hardships. And we don't know exactly what those hardships were, but we do catch a, a hint. And it's a hint that's going to be helpful for us as we think through this text. In verse 12, I'm going to read it, and I want to challenge you as I read it, try and, you try and learn from this. What, what do you think this reveals about David's present hardships? He says, For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. What do we learn about David's hardship in that verse? We learn that in one form or another, it's, it's flowing out of his sin, of maybe past sin. He says, my iniquities have overtaken me. My iniquities, things that I've done, now they've, now they've overtaken me. Derek Kidner is a Bible scholar. He says, whatever had been the miry bog of verse 2, you know, his last pit, the present troubles are largely of David's own making, which are catching up with him now. So David's sitting in the pit again, only this time he knows that he actually brought this upon himself, that this is a result of things that he had done. Now, we don't, again, we don't know exactly what it, the circumstances were. We could, we could take a guess. You know, two months ago, I think it was, I told you the story of, of Absalom. And I won't retell that story again, A, because we told it two months ago, and then B, because we're not entirely sure if that's what's happening here. But in general, that was a season in his life when David had failed as a father. He'd sinned. He'd fallen short. And years and years later, suddenly David's being chased out of the capital city of his kingdom, chased off of the throne. It's a mutiny, and the mutiny's being led by David's beloved son, Absalom. Did David write this psalm as he's hiding in a cave from his son Absalom? Remember putting God third, fourth, fifth in your life that could have been confessed and forgiven long ago, and nevertheless... All these years later, children have walked away from the faith, and mom and dad can't help but feel like, were we responsible for this in some way? Years of pornography addiction could be long in the past, could be confessed and forgiven, but the rewiring of the brain and the insecurity in your spouse still spoil some of the sweetness of the marriage bed. The years of alcoholism could be long in the past, confessed and forgiven, but the doctor says that the damage you've done to your liver is going to rob you of some years with your grandchildren. So I'll say it again to be clear. Not all of our suffering is the result of past sin. But some of it is. And it's difficult. Sin is easy, but it's never cheap. 
And here in Psalm 40, David's living in that reality in some form or another. Enduring a season of suffering that was largely his fault. Now, in verses 13 to 15, I won't reread that, but the situation is even worse because he's got people in his life that are just delighting in his downfall. He's got people that are... are, Because isn't that the way it is with our world? Our world talks about justice and their idea of justice that everybody should get what's theirs all the time. And so that that was the case in David's life. There are people who are laughing, people who are loving the fact that, oh, David's sins from the past have caught up to him now. Loving the fact that everything seems to be crashing down on him. Well, those are the consequences, David. He's suffering through that. But here's, we could talk more about that, but actually next week we'll get a chance to talk a bit about it. Here's where I want to camp this morning. Even though David's in the pit again, even though this pit is particularly dark because it, it comes with the guilt and shame of knowing that he caused a lot of this to come about. Even though David's surrounded by enemies who are, who are laughing in his face, delighting in the fact that everything's fallen apart, even still, David has hope. David has resolved to trust God, no matter what. And that shines through his dark circumstances. Look at verse 11 again. Right, so here he's turned the page. He's been living in the happy, the, like the memories of glory. He's been living in that. But in verse 11, he's shifting to his present circumstances. But as he shifts, he says, As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. So, so David, he's, he's thinking about all this, and he shifts here. And, and now he's saying that, man, even though there's people, people laughing, this whole thing is, is a mess I understand that you won't let me go. You're not going to let me go. And I don't like this. And he's going to spend a lot of time talking about, this is awful. It, for all these reasons, this is, this is an awful situation. Nevertheless, Lord, you will not let me go. You preserved me in the past, and you'll preserve me in the future. And so David can end this psalm with this note in verse 17. I love this. He says, as for me, I am poor and needy. He's not going to lie. This isn't the power of positive thinking. I am poor and needy. My situation is is miserable. This is not a good situation. But the Lord takes thought for me. That's what gets him through. I know that you know. And that's enough. I know that you are, you're, the same God who inclined to me before is inclined to me now. You see me. You hear me. You know the Lord takes thought for me. And you are my help and my deliverer. And he ends with this plea. So do not delay. And you're allowed to pray that, by the way. You're, you're allowed to pray in the circumstances. I know. I know you've got it. I know you care. I know you're listening. But soon would be better. Please. And maybe you're here and, and just like David, you are once again in a pit of your own making. You know, and you, it's a terrible situation and, and worse than that, it, you, can, you can trace it all back to this is my sin. My iniquity is caught up with me. I cannot, and I cannot see. I'm buried in it. More than, the, more than the hairs on my head. It's just all around me. Listen, the Lord takes thought for you. This isn't the first time you've been in such a pit, is it? You've been here before. It's where we all started. If you're here and you're a Christian, right, we were dead in our sin. That's, that's where we were. We were in the pit. We weren't just sinking, we were sunk. 
We were under the muck and the mire. But he rescued us. He set our feet upon a rock. Put a new song in our mouth. But now here you are, and you're in the pit again. And you're sinking again. And the consequences from your past have billowed over you like a wave. Maybe consequences from your present. But if the Lord is your help, if he is your deliverer, then you need to remember that there is no pit too deep. There is no pit too deep. That sin from the past is crashing over you. What an opportunity to remember and to lay it down again. God, you deserved better than what I did. Or maybe it's the sin of today. And you're in the pit because you're still holding this stuff. Just tell God what you're going through. Cry out to him. But then, and this is the hard part, wait patiently for the Lord. Wait patiently. I'm trying to teach that to my kids. It is the hardest thing. Right, parents? We, of all the things you need to teach them, patience, that's the one. You're in the car. Are we there? Are we there now? No. And it's like, we, and you know, we laugh because it's like, come on. But isn't that, we never go out of it, do we? We're sitting in the pit and we're like, Lord, are we there? Are we, are we there? It's, no, not yet. One Puritan reminds us, patient waiting is very difficult duty. But it is essential to Christian character and comfort. So let's not, let's not miss this, Redeemer. There are stormy days ahead for you. Maybe you're here and you're visiting with us. So happy to have you. As you leave, I hate to say it, there are stormy days ahead for you. Life is hard, then you die. Um, as a wise man once said. So personally, stormy days ahead. Corporately, Redeemer City Church, there are stormy days ahead. I had a whole block here where I'd talk about the stormy days that are ahead. I'm not a prophet, but hard days coming ahead. I'd be lying if I said otherwise. But I would also be lying if I didn't tell you that there's glory on the other side of whatever adversity comes your way. There's glory. If the Lord is your shepherd, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, there is everlasting life on the other side of whatever dark tunnel you find yourself in. Therefore, here's an area where we need to grow. Resolve. Resolve to trust. Resolve to plant your feet by the grace of God and to stand firm. Resolve to endure. Because as Jesus said, it's the one who endures to the end who will be saved. I'm going to close this morning with a reading that is not from our text. This reading is from Lamentations 3. And in fact... It was another one of our readings this week in the RMM reading. Perhaps I'm making a plug. I was so refreshed this week as I was studying for this text and I was reading God's word and from Old Testament to New Testament, from the Psalms and Lamentations, the whole, all across, I'm I'm hearing about King David, all of it is feeding into this truth. Why? Because it's the truth. And the truth is found all across God's word. And in Lamentations 3, here we have this lament written by someone who's living in captivity in Babylon. So God's people had sinned. Right? They had sinned in a terrible way such that the Jerusalem was overthrown and the unthinkable happened. Everybody thought, well, as bad as we are, God's not going to let the enemies overthrow Jerusalem. Like, this is the city. Remember, Assyria tried to take down Jerusalem. God killed them overnight with his angels. We're safe in Jerusalem, even here in our sin. God wouldn't do that. No, well, God did do that. 
And in their sin, he disciplined them. Jerusalem was overthrown. The temple itself was, was taken down, brick by brick. God, people don't talk about God. And they're wondering, God, what happened? But in the weeping, he, he prays this prayer, and I think that this is informative for us as we, as we come to a close. Looking out over Babylon, this foreign land, thinking back to burning Jerusalem, he says, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me, but this I call to mind. Hear that? My, my soul remembers all of the, oh, this horrible mess I'm living in. It couldn't get worse, but this I call to mind. I'm, I choose to remember this, therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. He prays in a foreign land where nobody speaks his language. His mercies never come to an end. He prays after God in his discipline just burnt down the whole city. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord's good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him. And he prays from a foreign city. This is homes burning in the background. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good. It is good. Oh, it's painful, but it's good. It's difficult. There's no words to describe how difficult it can be at times. But it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let's pray together.